believe everything you read in medieval teen, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Ella Enchanted Week on We Read the Book. I'm Adam Heap. I'm Lois Mitchell. And we're joined today by podcast regular Joe Suckling. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Time number four. Oh, I think this is our fourth time trying to get this right. Oh, no. Time number four with Joe. Don't oh, tell yeah. them that we've had audio issues. We never mess up on this Yeah, podcast. we never have audio issues. This is the first run. Yeah. Of what? Oh, <laughs> Oh my I think God. we need to pack me back into a box, hey? Yeah. <laughs> uh, our question of the week this week, what gift would you give to a politician in need? And obviously this is based off the idea of fairy gifts uh, from Ella Enchanted. Lois, did you have any politician you think is uh, deserving of a gift? Uh, probably many politicians. Um, I will go with the gift of humility so they listen to other people's perspectives. Adam, do you have one? <laughs> I did, but I can't remember what it is, so Joe, you do yours and then I'll... Okay, well, I think I would um, give a politician in need the ability to not spend taxpayer money on personal expenses. Yep, that's a good one. I think it sounds like they need a bit of help. Uh, I'm actually going to go the opposite route. I'm going to give a politician an island. I'm going to give Pauline Hanson her own island (laughs) far away. Yep. And I don't mind paying. We get the taxpayers would probably benefit from paying for Pauline Hanson's own private island where there's no boat or communication or way to get off. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our text of the week. We're talking about Ella Enchanted this week. Uh, so this was a book written by Gail Carson Levine, which came out back in 1997 uh, and was then adapted into a movie directed by Tommy O'Haver, I believe that's pronounced, in 2004. Uh, so what do we prefer, people? Um, book or film? I'm going to go to Joe. You're going to me because you know I disagree with you. I don't know why, I just, I, I kind of like the film and I found the book a little um slow. Yeah, I, I felt the pace was a bit slow and maybe that's just because I've been completely corrupted by my modern, you know, attention span. Yeah, I just found the pacing a bit slow and, and not a lot happened in parts. Okay, so that's one vote for the film, Lois. Look, I hated the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> We're all about opinions on this um, show. Uh-oh. Yeah, I, I read the book when I was like 11, so when I was like riding the target demographic, I, I didn't remember much of it. I remember the general gist of it, but yeah, re-listening to it, I was like, oh, this isn't a great book, but I can see why I liked it when I was 11. And then I watched the movie and I was like, what have they done? This is the worst thing I've ever seen. So that leaves me as the tiebreaker. We're at one apiece. I'm also voting for the book. I mostly agree with your sentence, Lois, mostly in the fact that Right, so I read a a bit of an interview with someone who was associated with the production and they said that basically you can almost not compare the two because they are totally different artistic endeavours and I could not agree more because if this is an adaptation, this film slaughters the book. It cuts it into pieces and stitches it back together into a weird Frankenstein monster of a film. Yeah. I guess maybe if I hadn't read the book, I wouldn't think that the film was uh, as bad as it was. But uh, as an adaptation, it is not great. My main thing that made me really irritated with the movie is that it cuts out the main point of the book is that it's a retelling of Cinderella. Spoilers. (laughs) The movie doesn't have that. It doesn't have the trying on the slipper so that he knows it's her. So why even call it Ella Enchanted? Why not just make a completely Sarah different... Enchanted. Why not just make a completely different movie? Well, uh, for those of you who have not read or seen Ella Enchanted, I'll give you a very brief plot summary of the book. In a retelling of the classic Cinderella fairy tale, Ella is a girl who at birth is given the gift, in quotes, 
of obedience, meaning that she has to always comply with any order given to her. When she falls in love with a prince, she has to find a way to break the curse on her in order to save the futures of both the prince, the kingdom, and herself. That sounds like a pretty reasonable outline for a story, right? Yeah. As usual, we'll talk about things that are not the plot. Before we talk about casting, I always want to talk about the style first. So Tommy O'Haver has almost no other directing credits. It's a very brief career with the only other thing that he'd done before this being Get Over It, which is a high school drama-y kind of film. And man, this is not much different. This is literally just like sorority drama played out in medieval fantasy world. Yeah, it's so weird. They have all these quote-unquote jokes about like the marketplace that is in the town that they live in. Call it a mall. And then they, they have like wooden staircases that are like escalators. Okay, is that... I don't get it. It's not big enough to be funny and like sort of, for lack of a better term, like pantomime And it's just like they thought of these random jokes and shoved them in there, but it's not enough. They don't do it enough to kind of make it the theme of the movie. It's, it's really weird. And this film is already dated, but man, in, in 30, 40 years, you'll look back at this and be like, this was just one of a number of films around this time that came out where you had that sort of upbeat, pop punky kind of music in the background. Strange so, Magic yeah, is a good choice. They but then, but opened then... with Strange Magic and I was like, oh, that's a really cool choice of music. I bet the music's going to be good in this. And then I was like, no. No, it's just generic <laughs> pop songs yeah. filtered through like, with a bit of a rocky beat to them. There's, there's... Just the most obvious choices, like later on Ella sings um, Somebody to Love. If, I think for me, it's, it's not so much that it's just plain up bad, is that it, this is one of... A lot of things which we'll talk about over the course of this podcast, which just are mashed into this tiny space and they don't fit. It's like someone put together five pieces from ten different puzzles. Yeah, and we've talked about before, if you can see the reason for doing something, like the reason for taking something out or changing something or moving stuff around for the adaptation and it and it benefits the story. Oh yeah, okay, I can see why they would do that. I feel like the stuff they took out and the stuff they added didn't make me appreciate the story more. Yeah, a lot of the changes did make a lot of the characters more superficial and uh, you know, archetypy, I think is kind oh, of what absolutely. we're getting at. They're all, you know, I guess I don't I don't think it's a great film, but I think I enjoyed it for what it was. Like it was a bit of it it was didn't take itself too seriously. Obviously, like it was a bit of fun. I enjoyed some of the musical interludes, and um, and I I liked Anne Hathaway. I don't know if that's going to polarize oh, a few people. Oh, oh no, I like no, no. Anne, Anne Hathaway. Hathaway's the one of the best actors in this by yeah. by far. Um, Very brief last thing before we move on to the cast is the CGI not bad for its time. I think yeah. the only time it really struck me as being not great was when they had the scenes with giants yeah. and you're transposing just you know, <laughs> sizes of people. And that really comes off as obvious green screening. Well, I think, like, um, the Lord of the Rings was coming out around this time. Slightly different budget. Slightly different budget, but they managed... They used practical special effects for a lot of the size stuff in The Hobbit. And this was obviously just people standing in front of a green screen. And it just... There was points where it was really jarring. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So in Lord of the Rings, they would use the props and the setting to um, yeah. make people look larger than they actually They would were. use perspe- force perspective. Mm. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's it's possible to do without a green screen. But, I mean, as you said, this movie probably had no money, so... Yeah, I think the budget they said was $30 million, which is not a small amount. Yeah. But, you know, and, and look, it doesn't... The CGI is such a minor thing. I just wanted to kind of bring that up and discuss that, yeah. that thing. Because the rest of it is actually not too bad. 
there's some I like like the opening like mm. panning shot through the fairy tale thing. I think it works really well. I, yeah. I like that CGI. Uh, yeah, like I said, of... the first five, ten minutes, I was like, oh, man, I'm really into this, and I hope it's going to be a good movie. I think the point for me, and we'll, we'll get to this later, but I think the point for me that I started to be like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to be a good movie, was when she picks up the elf character, and I was like, oh, this has really gone off the rails. Yeah. Um, but we'll get there. Let's talk about the cast, uh, primarily Anne Hathaway as Ella. Pretty good choice. Yeah. I know a lot of people hate Anne Hathaway. I don't know why. No, I don't see I any. like her. I think yeah, she's, she's, she's great. She seems quite polarizing. You're right. Yeah. But I don't know why people hate her. Personally, I think it's because she's pretty and talented and people don't like that. And honest as well. Like yeah. she's, she always comes across as very blunt and, and genuine in her interviews, in a, in a good way. Yeah. In this, look, she's not the best in this, but that I would attribute very little of that to her. She's not given a lot to work with here in terms of the script from, from my point of view. The dialogue is corny. She's asked to like hop up and down corridors and she does the, like she does the comedy well, you know, like she delivers all the lines as best she can. I just think that the script itself doesn't lend itself to a great performance. I do not particularly <laughs> think that Hugh Dancy held a lot of this film up as oh, Char. Has he done a lot since this I movie? I don't know. I barely know who he is to start with. He looked at, when I, when I started he... watching this, I was like, is this the guy who plays that terrible, that terrible person in Game of Thrones? But it's not. Isn't Hugh Dancy the investigator in Hannibal? Is he? Um, yeah, Hannibal has Will Graham. Will Graham, yeah. <gasps> there you go. Yeah, so he, he does, and he's really good in that. He's he really, is really good, really in, good that. in that. Look, his so. career has also gone very well. Yeah, I don't think he's a bad, I, I didn't even recognise him to be honest. I haven't watched that much of Hannibal, but I didn't recognise him. I've watched a lot of Hannibal and I didn't recognise him. Yeah, he would be like 10, 15 years older now. Yeah, which adds a lot to a character. Yeah, you know, an actor's a, a yeah. development, I would say. He was just he didn't was, have a lot of charisma. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, the guy playing Cassian in Rogue One. If either of you've seen that, the Star Wars film that just came uh, out. I did see it, but I can't remember any of the characters' names. He's the other bland person alongside bland girl. Uh, oh, the the like the boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, exactly, yeah. right? The, the the rogue boy. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. just he's just bland yeah. in this, I think, is Hugh Dancy. Uh, so let's talk about how this movie ruins Carrie Elwes for everyone. Oh god, Carrie Elwes, why? Carrie Elwes is the amazing the uh, uncle. Yeah, no, he's the uncle in this, but he's the he's in the Princess Bride. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and he's Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah, he's amazing. In this film he's garbage, because that role is terrible. And strange. A bad addition to the film. Uh, he's accompanied by um, the snake from the Jungle Book. <laughs> I'm glad which, he's still which in is, work. Which actually is also pretty uh, CGI, by the way, because of how much it appears and moves and talks and then is used for slapstick purposes. Yeah, so, so you just said, but yeah, this is a completely added character. So basically added like a Hamlet plot line, put his uncle in his place and then... Another one of these elements that's just mashed into yeah. the, the plot. Um, whereas in the movie... Charmont coming of age and being king was like... In the book. In, sorry, yeah, in the book, was was completely um, just accepted. It, it didn't have that, you know, usual fairy tale element of someone's trying to stop this person from being king. And that was good. Like, it, so it left all the room for Charmont and Ella to be the main two characters. My speculation on why is because the dramatic tension about Ella not wanting to take on the role of queen because of her cursed gift might be harder or maybe not as dramatic to play out yeah. on screen. I'm not saying it's a good solution. Yeah. 
But I think he would need to work around that somehow. Yeah. Anyway, should we go... Yeah, very briefly, I want to mention that this film then uh, proceeds to screw over a bunch of people such as Joanna Lumley and Parvinder Nagra and Eric Idle, who are all given almost nothing to do. Eric Idle's not too bad as the narrator that they add in, which is fine. I understand that a lot of times in movies especially you need to add in a narrator to kind of get some of the basic information and plot across. Did his narration actually do that, though? Oh, very vague. No, no, not really, because they just proceed to use him as a... They're like, oh, let's do funny fairy tale rhymes. Yeah, he's just at the beginning and the, the end, isn't mm. he? I think he pops up, like, one Once, other one time. Once in the middle, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then also, like, there's him, there's Joanna Lumley as Olga, who is barely in this film for an amazing actress who could do a lot with the, a character that's actually She's more heavily featured in the books, yeah. Yeah. And then Parvinder Nagra, who's a later. So there's a lot of people who kind of get a short end of the stick yeah. here. Oh, and also Vivica Fox as Lucinda. I, I really appreciated that they had people of colour in this movie. I agree, yeah. Like, that was really great because, I guess, because they were going for this American thing, they could have people of colour, so that's really good. To have this Lucinda character be a, a black woman and then have her be, like, finger-snapping kind of sassy stereotype is, like, I would have really... I really think that, like, just not having this would have been better because... You're making her look like because she this character is basically an idiot. Yeah, and then and they turn ma- her into a total jerk. Like there's yeah. no the, the, her so she, arc in the books is gone. Yeah, mm. so she's she's not only sh- like a complete idiot because she's using magic wrong. She's a horrible person, and she's like the only person of color who's got any lines. And it's like, oh, okay, this is not good. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on to talking about the plot. So the we're going to follow the plot of the book, obviously, and then kind of diverge off. Quite frequently, I suspect, yeah. as to where the movie goes. So the book opens on the very beginning of the story of baby Ella and the fairy Lucinda bestowing upon her the gift of, of obedience. We're kind of informed that Lucinda gives terrible gifts, which she thinks are great. It's I found it interesting that the book never... It doesn't really say, oh, she was just like... She was very kind-hearted and just obstinate. Because yeah. it sounds like... Because fairies are timeless and immortal, basically. And had been giving these gifts to people for... Hundreds of years. I got the impression she thought she was pretty great doing big magic. And they do well to distinguish her from the other fairies in the world, such as... But I guess there's a good contrast in Mandy. And she's quite humble and refuses to do big magic and is very aware of limitations. And at times is actually quite unhelpful, I think, to Ella across the, the plot of the book. Why couldn't Mandy just say, you no longer need... You will no longer be obedient to everybody unless you want because to... Because that's big magic and she refused to do big no, magic. No, it's not. It's just a command. You know, you... I agree with um, Joe. There were plot holes with this curse. Um, Shock horror. You have to go with. You have to run with it as a conceit. I which mean, is the big one is to me: why couldn't Ella give herself commands? You tell yourself to do things all the time. I mean, and I guess that's what she does in the end: is that she tells herself to stop. So that's like the the thing is that her willpower overcomes. Yeah, let's talk about. But that it later. doesn't get explained, and so it's like, oh, okay, this just kind of ends up being a plot hole, I guess. Yeah, I think with um, a lot of narratives with magic, sometimes you just go, oh, magic can kind of yeah. come with it. Yeah, anyway, um, so we, we get a bit of time with Ella in her youth. There's a, we, we kind of, they do well of kind of establishing a bit of her character in that she is resourceful and, like, you know, intelligent enough to be able to, once she learns how her the commands thing works, that she can kind of subvert that by only slightly obeying the command, but technically you're still obeying it. Like, I like the way that they play around with how the gift works and she can piss people off. But Yeah, no. they don't really do the same thing in the movie. Um, All right, now I hate what they do in the movie. So she just, auto, like, her body automatically obeys. Like, yeah. So they have this thing in the books where she can 
resist, but it causes her pain and like she sweats and you know and gets nauseous and dizzy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which I think is a, a great way of describing it and, and is probably how I'd expect something like that to magically play out. Yeah. But that is not at all taken into the movie. Maybe for, because it's so much less serious and much more comedic, yeah. she just automatically does things. And that's not that internal struggle is not necessarily a visual thing, or might be slightly more difficult to convey visually. Yeah. Also, she can do things that are impossible, like freeze in midair. Yeah. In the that's movie. a bit where that slapstick, yeah, like, just weird. Uh, not weird, but out of place humor comes yeah. from. Yeah. Um, we should also talk about how Mandy is different and like the fairy magic is different. So in the book, what Lucinda does is called big magic. So in the movie, they basically have Mandy is shit at magic to get around this. But in the book, it's that, yes, Mandy could do big magic. But the example she gives is um, it's raining outside and she says, if I stopped the rain, that would be good for us. But what about the farmers who need the crops to be rained on? And what if I accidentally caused drought? And, and what then, even if accidentally, like you are Bandit, who was going to rub a house that day, yeah, decides that not going to come out because of the rain. It's like, yeah, I, I, Mandy's intelligent enough to realize yeah. these things. Another part, and then she says, Well, lost. and then if I reversed it, I could the rain. If I said, Oh, it needs to rain, then that could cause a flood, and then that could cause so it's better to not do these big magical things. So she just does small things like cleaning and she does magical healing and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's really important. And then in the movie, they're just like, Oh, no, she's just bad at magic. Right, and it happens right away, like in that opening scene where she just like tries to summon a, like a cloth, and it just hits her in the face. I'm like, oh man, this is not going the same <laughs> way at all that the book did. And there's lots of little moments in this opening part of the book, which kind of establish, like I said, establish Ella's character in that way. Especially like there's the incident with the ogre and the gnome. Uh, we learn a lot about her languages that she learns and stuff, and she's just generally shown to be a very smart and helpful and willing and kind princess. And so they establish very early on that she has that kind heart as well, which the, the movie does mention as well. It is a bit slow-paced, I think, early on, and maybe that does hamper it slightly in terms of the book. But I do like that it takes a little time to establish a couple of bits about her youth, and you do learn about her character and what she's going to be like later on. Yeah. The other big thing is the father character. So the father character in, in the book is distant to the point of being a horrible person, basically. It's a generally conflicted, the way they show him. You know, Ella still loves him, and... He does show moments of softness towards her. It also shows that he just, like, uses her to his own ends. Like, he tries to marry her off. And, and in the movie, he's he's a nice dad, but, like, yeah, just not there. He has to go sell watches. Yeah, like... He, he does it because he needs money for the family, which is which is okay. It's more that he's, like, not aware than than actually actively being a bad person. Yeah, it's it's more like, and, and this is another archetype I don't like, the kind of, like, the fumbling father who, of course, wouldn't know how to parent, like, because yeah, exactly. I'm a man. What would I know what to do? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, Lady Eleanor dies. Yeah, and this is the first time you meet Prince Charmont. He comes to the funeral and he's really kind to Ella. I want to say, this is an interesting character. Regardless of the fact that in a, a fairy tale, you're naturally going to kind of follow a certain stereotype when you have a prince character. He's interesting. Like, yeah. I was never like, this is a character I already know exactly because I've read a no, hundred other yeah. fairy tales. He's interested in certain things like sliding down banisters. Like, these tiny little details that are peppered throughout the book, I kind of appreciated more once I'd seen the film. He's a perfect match for Ella without being that perfect match, if that makes sense. Like, he also challenges her, but they're into the same things, they're the same kind of person. 
it shows really well how getting to know someone and then falling in love with them really works as opposed to the fairy tale idea which is like I like him and he likes me what else is there they do a little bit of it in the movie but not as much as in the, the book the thing for me in the book that really sold it is that she makes him laugh yeah that is something that would make you fall in love with someone like yeah. you know there's more to it than that but it's in a book where you have little time and it, it, I agree it's just a very realistic understandable thing that they would fall in love which I, I agree in a lot of fairy tales is very forced yeah the prince or male character is often quite silent in a lot of these stories and that's probably what makes the whole love story seem so unrealistic like all you know about this guy is what he looks like and um, that he has a crown yeah and it's important in one point in the book he tells her I would never want you to do something you didn't want to do something that is in important to her for obvious reasons because she's always been forced to do what she has been told to do and I thought that was a moment they did really well in the movie yeah I agree I think it was important that they kept that so he realizes that he can't tell her to stay I love the idea that idea of consent and things like that yeah there was one point where I thought they almost undid it though which is the kiss yeah I agree at the giant's wedding at the moment she was he was like that's he's like kiss me and she goes to kiss him and he's like that's not an order and she's like I know, and I, but but before, like in that, even when she said that, I was like, oh, this seems a little bit rapey. Yeah, it's like you kind of know she's into it. Yeah, I'm like, I already know. But... I already know. Again, I've read the book, and but you don't have to read the book to know that in a fairy tale, she's going to fall in love with the the handsome prince. I think the mo- the movie and the book did a pretty good job with that, but the movie in that moment, I thought, was just I I think. Just the direction, the filming of it was a little strange. Uh, it didn't undo the whole conceit because obviously at the the whole thing it's perpetuated throughout the film. But in that one moment, I was like, oh, this is un- uncomfortable. Yeah. So the next bit in the book is that she gets sent off to finishing school with Dame Olga's daughters. Um, her father and Dame Olga aren't married yet, but her father's like, well, your mother's dead. What am I going to do with you? Send you off to finishing school. Yeah, he's a dick. So Hattie basically figures, she doesn't know about the curse, but she figures out if she phrases things as orders, Ella has to do it. That's uh, Dame Olga's oldest daughters, Hattie and Olivia. And Olive. Olive. And um, so she's wearing her mother's necklace and Hattie says, oh, you have to give that to me. And, you know, just basically demeans her, makes her be her lady in waiting. Of course, she goes to finishing school and all the mistresses give her orders. So she becomes like the best pupil there. But then the the mistresses are like suspicious of her and basically don't like her because she doesn't want to be there. They try and make her their pet because she's so good at everything. She doesn't want to be, so then they're like not very nice to her. This section of the book isn't my favourite, but I actually kind of like that as a like that seems like again, it seems like a logical thing that would happen is if you ordered someone to get better at things, they would do very quickly. Yeah. They, all they can do is follow orders exactly as you tell them. I yeah. did like the part where she's singing eventually and she's like, Oh, I'm not a good singer, but then eventually because of the orders she's given, she finally gets there. I actually thought that was kind of cool. I'm like, imagine if you could just be told to be better at things and you could be. So in the movie, she's basically already an adult, um, is the first thing. So she's about 14 when she goes to finishing school. So in the movie, they, they make her already a grown-up, so she doesn't have to go to school or anything. Uh, she's already friends with Arita, and basically directly after her mother's death, pretty much the next scene is like her dad saying, I'm married, and he's married to Dame Olga, and the two girls come and move in. So that's pretty standard along your Cinderella story kind of thing. So that completely skips this whole section, which I can see why they would take out the finishing school bit because in the book, it's character development, which you don't, you can have done in other ways in a movie. 
Um, it's just that they didn't they didn't then fill the time with anything good. Uh, so the thing, the impetus for her to leave finishing school is that Hattie tells her she can't be friends with Arita anymore and she decides that she is going to leave. So she leaves. Um, she gets a magic book that can show her, basically let her spy on people, like read their journals and stuff, which is like a really transparent way of getting an expository dialogue across. But I don't, again, I don't mind the concept of that so much in the book, but what it gets turned into in the film is just bizarre. Again, like it's, yeah, the weird. book is Mandy's boyfriend who is now a book. <laughs> Why? The book doesn't talk in the book. It, <laughs> that's a weird Ooh. sentence. Yeah, it, it just shows pages with like journal entries, maps, that kind of thing. Whatever she needs to see. She doesn't and she doesn't have to ask it to show her things. She just opens it and it shows her things. And that's a really cool function. And then yeah, in the movie they make it like um uh, like the talking mirror from Snow. The thing White. is there's not really any reason for this because I, if you don't have the Slannon character, okay, fine. You need someone for her to bounce dialogue and ideas off of, which in a book you can think to yourself. So if you want to have a character to bounce dialogue off, fine. But she has Slannon for that. Yeah. She's with Char for most of the movie. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just another thing that's just shoved into this yeah. already crammed movie. So yeah, she, she, has the, she has the magic book, so she leaves finishing school. This is done in the movie basically the same way, except she's at home, not at finishing school. She wants to go find Lucinda. Yeah, so both times she wants to go find Lucinda. Um, But in the movie, they actually make her tell Arita, as opposed to in the book, she doesn't tell her that she's 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 commanded to end her friendship with it, and she does it by leaving forever. Yeah, she does it by leaving. Yeah, so then that's the biggest change, and that's where the two stories kind of dovetail again. Um, Into the giant's wedding. So we meet the ogres along the way. I really like how the... The visual of the ogres, yeah, like the kind good. of the makeup we here is really good. Yeah, the um the main ogre was someone recognisable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't Down Abbey? Yeah, he's the yeah. butler. <laughs> and Shakespeare as well. Yeah, so this bit's annoying because in the book, so she's really good with languages. They've shown this at finishing school. They've shown it when she's talking to the birds that know many languages in the zoo. That opening scene with Char. the gnome. Yeah, that's not been established at all in the film. They basically like, cut out the other races effect mostly for uh, you know. Other well, people. first of all, so in the in the book, all the other races live in harmony with humans apart from ogres who eat people. And in the movie, because of this uncle character, he has to be very evil. He's enslaved all the other races basically. So he's made the the elves be his only performers ever, and the giants work the fields and. The idea that like. 10 people in towers are controlling all the giants is just bizarrely amazing yeah. because like and you see this in the scene later there's like maybe a hundred giants working the crops and stuff and then there's like these towers all along the crops with like 10 knights or whatever patrolling them the interesting change is that the ogres aren't necessarily evil in the movie but they're evil because they've had their lands taken away yeah. whereas in the book the ogres are evil they eat people yeah. you you would never coexist with ogres I think this is one point where I think both interpretations are fine yeah uh, both yeah, of them are both uh, fine I think because they want to bring them back for that big yeah. fight scene at the end which God. Look, that's not that's not one of the biggest problems I think I have with this movie, but but I like that. I, I, I like went, I, I like the characters. Ready. Yeah. <laughs> when I was watching that bit, I was like, oh, I just need to. I'm going out later. I need to like go and like brush my hair, and I was just like half paying attention because I'm like, I know what's happening. Like, I don't need <laughs> to actually watch it. The um, I I like the ogres. I like the scene with them here. They get to run away. So pleasant. in the book, ogres can tell all your secrets from just looking at you. And they can also, as soon as they start talking, they can just convince you to do what they want. Anyone, not just Ella. 
But so when they look at Ella, they're like, oh, she'll just do what we tell her to do. They, they, I think they say this one will cook itself if we, mm. if we oh, told her to. Too. So she's traveling through the woods and she's previously met some elves, um, but they haven't come with her, which in the movie one's come. She's met one elf and it's come with her. And that's Slannon. Yeah, who's also vastly changed from yeah. the um, amazing merchant he is. Yeah, that's not really important. No. But yeah, so she's got a pony and she's she's traveling through the woods and they capture her and they eat the pony. And then basically she gets her mostly gets herself out of the situation by she knows a bit of ogres. She can, and she starts to figure out how to mimic their oily way of talking, and basically convinces them, uses their own trick against them, and convinces them to do what she wants them to do. And then at the last minute, the ogres have ordered them to stay with her, so she can order them to go to sleep or whatever. But she's like trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. And then Prince Charmant comes along and is like, yeah, ties them up and helps her out. And then so that's another point of like them bonding. And she's making him laugh and but in the in the film like she gets out of the situation because the book tells her to use karate moves no that's at the no no, no that's at the ogre fight no isn't that's it? at slannon slannon tells her to use karate moves charlotte yeah. saves her at the ogres oh, yeah okay. so in the movie um she's literally tied up above a pot a boiling pot of water and charlotte comes along and saves her and yeah. she's like completely helpless so completely uh, ruining that bit of the book where she's basically got herself 90% of the way there. And, and you know, Charmant and his knights are like, how did you do that? And, like, you've got to teach us that skill. And this book is for 10 to 12-year-old girls, you know, roughly, rough age. And it's really important that you show that girls can be their own heroes and they don't need men to get them out of situations. And so I was like, in the book, I was like, this is great. She needed help, but it wasn't. It's not that he's a man. It's just that he happened to be there, and they kind of use it as a way for another way for him to admire her as yeah. well. It's it's another. It's one of those touch points where again he's falling in love with her and uh, kind of gaining respect of the knights is like quite a um, impressive thing that yeah. Ella has done. I think you're you're right. So I really enjoyed all the morals and all the kind of the themes within the book. The, the movie doesn't really translate them as well. It tries a little bit, but it falls down on all of them, and that's one of those examples. Yeah. So in the uh, book, she then gets given one of the knights to keep her safe. So when she, Yeah, when she goes to the giant's wedding. In the movie, uh, Charmant goes with her, and then they go to the giant's wedding. So in the book, she does find Lucinda at the wedding. Yes. But Lucinda... Orders her to be happy about her gift instead of rescinding it. Yes, that's right. But in the movie, she doesn't find her because they have a bunch of her kissing Prince Charmant and singing for the giants. And, and then so this is where the two mo- the two texts go away from each other again, basically. Yeah. So in the book, she's suddenly happy about her gift because she's been told to be. This is a really disconcerting part of the story. It's, yeah. it's so... And you can sense that she also knows that because it's just this weird, tense, like, I have this terrible curse and I have to be happy about it. Yeah. As I've been told to be. Like, it's the worst possible thing that a curse could do. What really bothers me about this bit in the book is that as soon as she goes back, she tells Mandy that she's she's happy about her curse because she was told to be. But Mandy doesn't think until much later to question whether it was magic or just an order. Mm. And I'm like... What the hell? Why wouldn't that be the first thing you'd ask? I think the situation with her being forced to be happy about it and and having that fugly dude there is not the problem in and of itself because that's 
strengthening the story that you already had about consent and because um, that fits in with the theme of the story just fine. The problem is that I agree that Mandy is just apathetic about way too much in the over the course of this story, which is probably the only thing I don't really like about her. Yeah, she just kind of wrings her hands and is like, oh, there's nothing I can do. And then I think the evening after she has dinner with the ugly guy, he's, she's like, wait, did she give you an order or did she use magic? It's like, why didn't you ask that in the first place? I don't understand this like character. At parts, even the the explanation about not being able to use big magic just don't really flesh out to an extent. Like you're like, yeah, okay, but undoing this gift, which is only hurting one person, surely you would just do it. Because she at first all she does is she orders. She says, feel however you want to feel about it, yeah. yes. And then I think it's not until after the letters that happen between Char and Oh, yeah, Ella. maybe. So, so the next part of the story is just her being an unhappy servant, effectively, as because uh, Peter leaves to yeah. go be a better merchant because he's yeah. a, a, a crap dude. He decides that he doesn't want her to marry the old dude. Yeah, so and because because she won't marry him and get rich because yeah, he didn't actually have any money, Yeah, he marries Olga... And at their wedding, Lucinda shows up and is like, um, you will be forever in love with each other. Yeah. Which is just another demonstration that her gifts are terrible. So this, the story spends a bit of time with Ella being unhappy at home. Like she kind of builds her relationship with Mandy up again and just has lots of talks about why Mandy can't change her gift. She's writing letters with Shah. Yeah, who's, who's she's away in um, a Aorthia. Aorthia. Um, is he fighting? Is that no? He's just spending time in a, another kingdom. They oh. said. Yeah, like it's just something that the princes do. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it's just, just getting like to know diplomacy their allies, I think. and yeah, yeah. And he hates them. I just, but I just like they have little details, like the correspondence. Like yeah, it furthers the the story, but it also just keeps on that little tiny bits of world building. He's like, yeah, they never, these guys never talk. They never do anything. It's just weird that I'm here in general and, and they like to sing. And these little details just make it a fully fleshed out thing that you believe is real. And it fleshes out their relationship and why he likes her as well. And at this point in the book, she's a little bit older. So she starts to get feelings for him. It's not just love at first sight for her. And so then by the time she's writing letters with him, she's around 15. And so she's like, oh, actually, I really like him, and this is the reason I like him. It's not just like, I like him because he's the prince. And Which is I the like reason him. all the other characters in yeah. the movie like him. And I actually must admit, I don't I don't mind those little gags about the huge gaggle of sorority girls who are just, like, obsessed with everything yeah. he does. I um, liked the bit where it was like, ladies, can you please stop tugging, tugging the floor? floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, tugging the foyer. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that's so disgusting. <laughs> There are there, there are funny jokes. In this. Funny we haven't jokes mentioned this. We sound like we're ragging on it a lot. Yeah. There are occasional funny moments in this. It's just that we 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 have to look at this as a, from the standpoint of this was a book that could have been turned into a great movie that was based on a book. So eventually, uh, she is kind of forced to reject Shamans uh, because the closer she feels to him, she realizes that if he uh, asked her to marry him and, and like because she loves him, she would want to. She couldn't be in that position because anyone could order her to kind of get their own benefit out of being yeah. associated with the king and the royalty. Yeah. As, like, you know, number one, Hattie and Olive and Olga who want money and food and, and riches out of... And, yeah. and will weasel their way into whatever they can. Yeah. So as we talked about before, this is done through the uncle in the, the movie, which, because it's an internal struggle in the book, you can see why they made it external. But, yeah, like I said before, I just think it could have been... The problem is that character is way, way too cheesy. Yeah, and just it just could have been done way better. Yeah. And with more thought and care, so... Oh, so she re basically rejects Charmon. She tells him that she's, like, gone off to another land and married 
married someone and she and pretends to be money. her sister or her stepsister. Yeah, and, and then and then yeah. writes us a part of a note from herself, right? That like yeah. from this other land that she's now in, yeah, or whatever. Um, and she can kind of view his response to that because she has the book that tells her, you know, what yeah. he's feeling about things. So this is where we really go into the Cinderella story. So she's basically a scullery maid living in a servants quarters and but importantly while she's doing this because she's been so sad about finally rejecting Charlotte she goes straight to Mandy who at this point is like well I guess I better do something and then <laughs> yeah. like gets in Lucinda and is like right you're gonna deal with this shit yeah and basically tells her to go and live as a squirrel for a month and then obey everyone that's, that's three months as a squirrel and then three months as an obedient person yeah because she the other thing she does is turn people into squirrels yeah <laughs> when they she's don't like, like her it'll gifts. be it'll be fun you'll love it as a squirrel and it's like no yeah they, they make a point of saying that anyone who who asks to get their gift taken back uh, then has to you know then she then turns into squirrels because she's like you're ungrateful yeah in the in the meantime Charmont's called for a, he's come back or coming back and he's called for a ball and so we start to get into that the ball in the the movie's case is being arranged because they're going to crown Charmont as king yeah it's important to reference here in the book I can't remember exactly it must have happened way earlier in the book before he left for um, Aorthia where she fi- they find the slippers I barely remember reading about the slippers okay. in the book I must be honest so it, it, Ella is part fairy herself but the only thing she has that's fairy is tiny feet so fairies they, they grow to normal human size but their feet stay really small and she's exploring the castle with Prince Charmont for some oh when it's when um her dad and Olga get married she's exploring the castle with him she's because she's keeping out of the way of Hattie and um they go into some room and they find the slippers and he gives them to her and so when she goes to the ball she's wearing them yeah in the book he already knows that they belong to her basically um so and this point like corresponding in the movie this is the part where we're kind of being informed uh, well we already know but edgar is like oh now she'll she'll do whatever i want and then the snake come down and is like oh we have to get back to our evil plans yeah literally says that that's not even me making that yeah. shit up and then they uh, and so he's like you'll stab charmant at midnight when he comes to propose to you yeah so in the movie that's kind of the only part of the cinderella story and that... they briefly turn some like they briefly turn the book into a pumpkin yeah so that's pretty much where the cinderella similarities end in the movie yeah um whereas the rest of the story in the book is pretty Entirely much cinderella, cinderella yeah so she, in the book, there's three balls, there's three nights, which I think is very similar to the original. Lucinda comes back and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I did this thing to you. And and they're like, okay, we'll turn it back. And she's like, I'm not going to do big magic anymore, which is like yes. another big cop out. Yeah. yeah, she goes to the ball, she charms him, she goes back again, she charms him. And he's like, mysterious woman, I must know who you are. And, um, and Hattie rips off the mask. Hattie's getting jealous. And on the third night, yeah, Hattie rips off the mask. And he's like, Ella. And she runs away and she leaves one of the slippers. And she gets home and she quickly, you know, makes herself all dirty again. And he comes in and he's like, these slippers will only fit Ella. And he puts one on her. Do the other girls not try and... They do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but their feet are too big. Yeah. And this is the point in the book where is that she's rocking back and forth crying because he's saying, marry me, marry me. She's saying... And she's... Because marry me is basically phrased as a command. She's she's fighting her curse and she's rocking back and forth going, no, 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 I won't, I won't. And um, basically breaks the curse because her love for him overcomes the curse. Oh, it's just such a fairy tale trope. Like, I know it's a fairy tale. Like, 
I have to understand that I have to accept this, but I hate it. And I just don't like it at all. Oh, I liked it. What did you think of how the movie dealt with it? The movie's just the movie's not even the same plot. It's just like let's all have a big fight over everything. No. And, and well, the movie the movie's mostly the same, isn't it? It's just like oh, love overcomes everything, and because we love each other, everything's fine. Well, I kind of, I kind of, I don't know why, but I liked the moment in the Hall of Mirrors where she's kind of fighting this command to kill the person she loves, and that's the thing that. I preferred reading it, if I'm honest. I prefer, I did prefer just, I guess I understood, I, I preferred to be in that character's head and I thought that Gal Carson Levine writes that struggle better than um, than it was filmed. So she she doesn't stab him, she drops a knife and he's like, were you trying to kill me? And then, <laughs> and then her... And then I did laugh at that point. Like, his, his uncle comes in and is like, take her away. And like, so we've got to have this whole added bit where she's got to prove she's innocent. Yeah, the like, standard fight in Bollywood scene at the end of the film. That should have been the culminating moment of the film is her overcoming her curse because the story is about her. Not the film, it's not. Yeah, so in the book, that's basically the end. She overcomes it and he and she's like, oh, I can explain now. And she explains mm. to him that she was cursed and she couldn't. And he's like, oh, okay. And she says, and they've had this joke all along that she wasn't old enough to marry. And she she's goes, like, in the last three minutes, I have become old enough to marry. Yeah, <laughs> so I will marry you and then yeah. happily ever after. And it's like, and the that's... epilogue is beautifully written. Yeah. I love the fact that Olive, like, she's like, how do you never got married? Olive did to a person who, who basically gave her everything she wanted. Yeah. I like, because Olive is actually massively short shrifted in the movie. Yeah. She's just like the dumb sister who is near Hattie. Yeah, so that's like the point of the book is that she needs to overcome this thing but in, in the movie it's like she overcomes it and then we've got to have another 15 minutes of the movie it's like no that's not how storytelling works i guess because they had that whole extra character that yeah, wasn't exactly. meant to be there they it's had not to... exciting enough for kids to have a character overcome an internal struggle you need a visual thing to um, go with it. no I'm, I'm saying that's what's going through the mind of like yeah. people who make like I mean, films for kids with short to... attention spans to go back to our example of Shrek, that movie ends with Fiona realising that she was fine all along, and then it's basically the end. Yeah. Shrek like, is also much better movie than this yeah, is. Yeah, I know. But like, <laughs> Watch Shrek, everybody! <laughs> yeah. As a conclusion, we'd like to recommend Shrek. <laughs> yeah. So, in a lot of these stories where they're subverting the princess tale and they're subverting the princess archetype, you know, and Ella does that a lot of the time. She's politically aware or she's, um, you know, she's kind, she's not interested in money, like, she's all of these things that mean, and, you know, she doesn't love a prince just because he's a prince or whatever. She's against ogre side. She's against ogre side. That protesting scene is hilarious, by the way. But in, in all these narratives where this happens... They always still end up marrying the prince. And part of me feels like it's a bit of a cop-out. Couldn't she have gone on and, I don't know, done something else? Or, I don't know, I just... I mean, part of me likes it. I find it really satisfying as a story that, you know, she finds love and they're really happy and, you know, they'll be wealthy and live in a castle and not have to argue about who has to pick up the the socks. But, I don't know, I just find it unsettling and I, I wanted other people's opinions on that. I mean, I guess because this story in particular... I would agree with you if all the way through it hadn't shown that they were perfect for each other, but especially in the book, it does show that him being the prince is secondary. It's just that they're like perfect for each other. So in the book, it doesn't feel like a cop out to me. Maybe in the movie, mm. because you don't get that character development. But yeah, in the book, like I liked it. I thought it was really romantic and good. I thought it was a good a good love story. 
But would you agree, like, in other stories that try and do the same thing, it feels a bit... Yeah, I mean, I just think that's a problem with a lot of children's media being, um, yeah, quite heteronormative. Mm. I think it's a problem with children's media that we assume children are not smart. That they, Because I think children would be more than able to handle not the concept of this... Not even children's media, just general media. Yeah, like, yeah. It's but, always boy meets girl in general media. It's but like, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking... So, so this, this story was written for young adults and older children... We assume naturally, I think, a lot of the time that children aren't able to di- to digest complex messages. That's bullcrap. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's been shown quite comprehensively that as long as you present it in a fashion that they can understand, like, they will take on board things that we might think are too difficult or complex for them. Yeah. And, and in the context of this story, I think that... I think the movie assumes that children are dumb and have short attention spans and want a standard run-of-the-mill fairy tale with funny jokes. I would have preferred the book in film form because yeah. I think the messages that the, the book has are fantastic. And Yeah, um, I would agree with that. So the, we've talked about the book ending. The movie ending is a uh, fight scene and the king dopely kills himself. Yeah, so the king... So I, the, the uncle, 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 uncle is going to put a poison crown on the prince... In oh, front of everyone. So dumb. And and it shows because he then he's then like has a tanty and is like, I'm king, and puts the crown on himself and immediately dies. So if you'd done that to the prince, everyone would have been like, it was the crown. What was your plan here? But this fight scene, it reminds me we talk again, we've talked about weird fight scenes on this podcast before with this peregrines. This is equally strange. They have this one moment where where the snake is talking to to Uncle Edgar. He's like, uh, should we, maybe we should bring in the Red Guard and kill them all. He's like, oh, I want to do this one thing first and we'll do our evil plan. And then like the Red Guard are knights who are ninjas. Yeah. That's dumb. Like it doesn't. It, I understand it fits like the tone of this at this point ridiculously overstuffed film, but. Yeah, I think oh, the ending man. is the ending is the worst part of the movie. I Definitely, it's just a, a chaos little cluster thing. It's like all the elves and the ogres and the giants are all teaming up and they're beating down all the knights and stuff. And yeah, this is the point I stopped paying attention. Again, the only <laughs> the, the funniest. I came back for the uncle bit and then I was like, okay, I'm done. The funniest that. part of this again was the sorority girls trampling on the snake. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something funny about an army of girls who are just like. We've lost their minds. They're kind of like believers. Yeah, that yeah, level yeah. of Christ. Yeah. But the ending is dumb and then they get together and happy ever after. Don't go break out. I, I do. I must confess, <laughs> I do like the um, the little discussion that while they're fighting that Ella and Char have. And it's like, so were you trying to kill me? Oh, yeah. And now I'm saving you? Yeah, they do that that joke where it's like they're pausing in the middle of punching people to like have a heart to heart. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it ends with, off ends with a dance a party to Don't Go Break My Heart. And that's all we have to say about that, really. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's a... I, I thought that was a really weird song choice. Yeah. Mm. That doesn't make any sense. No, it's not clever. It's not... It's not good, relevant to no. what's just happened. <laughs> but all the love cut, all the couples get a happy ending. Mandy's book boyfriend is back to a regular boyfriend just because she used magic after turning into a pumpkin. Uh, the giant and Slannon are now a couple. What the hell, man? What happened to this movie? It just went <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> all right, let's just recommend it. I, I can't even talk about it anymore. <laughs> I'm going to give a, a very predictable at this point thumbs up for the book and a thumbs down for the movie. The book is well written, it has great themes, it delivers well, the characters are developed. Uh, it's written for young adults, but that's fine. I don't yeah. mind that. If a book is well written, I'll read anything. Yeah, something to read to your kids. It was entertaining, definitely. the characters go beyond tropes, uh, it 
importantly, it's a, a great book for not just girls, but for guys as well, because there's great things for everyone there. I think the, the more I thought on it after reading it, the better it became in, yeah. in my estimation. But it was interesting to read. Like, a, a lot of the time, if I came across a tale of this, I'd be like, oh man, I can't believe I have to read this. But it was interesting. Like, it, it kept my attention and it kept me turning pages. So it's a thumbs up for the book. And the movie is just a cluster of bizarre ideas tried to... It shouldn't have been based on the book. That, that's really all you can say. Yeah. It, it, again, like we said it when we were opening this podcast, it should almost be considered a different artistic endeavour entirely because it's not. It's not Ella Enchanted. It's just a different story. Yeah. That talks about... The common thing is the curse and the obedience thing, but yeah. I think that's nearly it. Yeah. I just don't really have enough words to <laughs> talk about how much I dislike this film. Yeah. Normally I like everything. That's the thing. But there was just... There were, there were some funny jokes, but it's... Just, yeah, I just don't appreciate what it did to the book that I yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, I'm the same. It takes a lot for me to be like, I don't want to watch this. And the only reason I continued watching it was because I was watching it for this. I'm going to say... Same. Thumbs up for the book. Um, thumbs down for the movie. I read, like I said before, I read the movie, I read the book when I was the right age for the book and it blew my mind. I thought it was the best thing I'd ever read. So yeah, if you've got kids around that age, definitely get it for them because they're going to love it. Um, I have opinions. Okay. <laughs> I'm allowed to have opinions. Thank you, Adam. So I would recommend the book if I'm ever, you know, if I ever have a, an 11 year old girl, I think I would definitely recommend it for her or maybe we could read it together. I think that would be quite fun. I don't recommend the audio book that I had. I think that's maybe partly what shaped my experience and the, I don't know, I found the girl reading it annoying at, at points and when she was like doing the parrot voices. I don't know. It just got a bit too much for me. Um, with the movie, I... What you what we've said is completely right, but I think I, I guess I must have seen the movie in two thousand and four when it came out, so I was a little bit younger then, and I think I just sort of enjoyed it for the the silly film that it was. I didn't I wasn't valuing it based on the book, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think you can still enjoy it for what it is, but as an ad, you couldn't really call it an adaptation. Uh, yeah, I agree, and that's the thing. I think if I had taken this on its own and I never read the book. I might have enjoyed this film a lot more than I did, and I might have been able—I might have even been able to accept that it was a cluster of strange stuff all chucked together. Because there's plenty of movies like that. Let's talk about uh, things that are not this, which we've been consuming. Uh, I'll go first again. I watch, have just started watching uh, a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket. Oh, it's just been released on Netflix. I've only seen the first two episodes, but man, uh, I've never really read the books, and this is something we could end up talking about this one day because uh, the um, uh, the first book. The first three books, I believe, have all, were all adapted into the third, the film. Yeah. Of the same The name. Jim Carrey film. Yes. Yeah. And again, I like Jim Carrey. I think he was a fine choice to play Olaf in this. But Neil Patrick Harris, oh boy, he is a fantastic comedic actor. And I love his count Olaf. I love the way that the, the atmosphere that they bring Netflix is just hitting it out of the park on almost everything they do. Yeah. And uh, so I would highly recommend a series of unfortunate events and the Netflix account. <laughs> Joe? I don't know. I feel like I've, I've been a bit swamped with work and wedding prep stuff. I don't know what I've been consuming lately. It's <laughs> okay if you can't think of anything. I, you don't oh, have to recommend something. I recommend doing nothing and spending some time at home with your loved one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ro okay, you know what? I'm going to talk about Rogue One. Do it. Okay, so I I kind of liked the way that Rogue One played on the whole um, how did they how did the Death Star have this really easy way of getting blown up thing like. <laughs> What? The Death Star gets blown no, up? No, 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 but the fact that they actually use that as kind of the premise for the Rogue One movie is maybe a spoiler. I don't know. But yeah, I actually, because 
it, the same thing happened with the cursed child in Harry Potter. Like everyone goes like, so why don't you use the time turner to go defeat Voldemort? And that kind of gets explained a little bit. Still not satisfactory, but it gets touched on a bit in the cursed child. And this is what happens in Rogue One. They take like this seemingly big giant plot hole for the fandom and make it work for the for the movie. I really liked that. Yeah, I agree. I actually I like the way that Rogue One took that. What is almost a joke, you know? Yeah. To Star Wars fans. And the yeah. movie's good. It's entertaining. I like the tone it had. I'm not a Star Wars person. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't completely sold in maybe the first 20 minutes. I'm not, like I said, I'm not a Star Wars person. So I have to like remember what happens in the original movies. I was like, and also I was confused because I didn't realize it had nothing to do with the previous, <laughs> yeah. with The Force Awakens. So oh. I was like, who are these characters and how do they relate? And then I was like, okay, this movie has nothing to do with that. <laughs> this movie's set before, yeah. Um, it's a sequel to the prequels. Yeah, so once I got on board and I remembered my sort of Star Wars plot, I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. And I really, really enjoyed it. The biggest problem I had with it, I think, was the fact that the two main characters were the least interesting yeah. out of all of yeah. them. Yeah, they were really bland. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so go watch that. If, if Even if you're not a Star Wars person. Like, yeah. Lois and I both enjoyed it. So. Yeah. yeah. So what am I recommending? Oh, I um, recently watched uh, Jaws and Jaws 2. And I Jaws is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing movie. It's so good for the way that it creates tension uh they barely show the shark and the characters are so well developed and uh, yeah it's uh, it's incredible it's an incredible film jaws 2 is pretty good it's like nowhere near jaws but it's um it's still pretty it's a pretty good movie i i like shark movies i watched um I also watched The Shallows on the plane going over to England. That's worth a watch. It's pretty silly. It's pretty farcical. But um, I like the way it's shot. The Shallows is it's shot, shot as if you're from your perspective. So it's shot from a camera floating in just above the water. So as if, as if it's your head floating in the water. So that makes it really tense because you know there's a shark around so you, and you feel like you're in the water with it. So, yeah, I recommend shark movies. That's what I recommend. <laughs> Were you just feeling in a shark mood, Lois? Oh, I, I, I've, always really, I've, I've always really loved those kinds of movies for their tenseness, creepiness factor. Uh, so, next time on We Read the Book, we're going to be talking about American Psycho. Uh, you can find and contact us at wereadthebook at gmail.com and on Twitter at readthebookpod. Uh, we would love for you to subscribe to us on iTunes uh, and potentially if you do enjoy the show at all, uh, if you could leave us a review, that would be fantastic. Uh, and on top of that, if there's anything you want us to discuss or review, uh, then get us get us with a tweet or an email. We'd love to... Uh, I mean, Ella Enchanted was a suggestion from Reddit. Yeah, from um, Azure Mage on Reddit. So thank you for suggesting. Um, yeah, we had a good time reading it. We didn't like the movie so much, but I think that might have been why you suggested it. But we so. had a good time <laughs> discussing it. Yeah, we did have a good time discussing it. And that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Lois Strange Magic Mitchell. I'm Adam. Don't go breaking my heart heap. And I'm Joe. Somebody to love suckling. Thank you. Bye. See you next time.
handsome, very hairless prince, by the way. <laughs> Weirdly, when that in that like scene where she washes him in the, the river and whatever. But um, she the way she's bandaging his arm. Yeah, yeah. 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 But then when you made it sound way more sexy than that. <laughs> yeah, it did. That scene, that scene where they get naked in the river. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, did I miss that scene? <laughs> <laughs> I watched the extended edition, right? We all did that. 